For your team, you have to be a shock absorber. You have to take in the shock from whatever's happening across the board, whether that's on a micro level or a macro level, and then filter that in a thoughtful way to those around you and make sure you are consistent for everyone else. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Today, our guests are Reshma Chaturan Chamberlain and Lori Coulter. They are the co-founders of the clothing brand Somersault. Somersault launched in 2017 with their data-packed perfect fit swimsuit, which I can testify works wonders. And they've since expanded into apparel, loungewear, and activewear. Somersault has also done notable collaborations with brands like Diane von Furstenberg, and they've opened retail stores in select cities. Reshma and Lori, welcome to 9 to 5-ish. Thank you for having us. Thanks for being here. So before we get into the conversation, we like to warm up with a lightning round. Quick questions, quick answers, so we can get into it. Are you ready? So ready. Let's do it. Okay, I'm going to throw to one of you first. Lori, first job you got paid for? I was a sandwich artist at Subway. I'm so happy that I asked you that question. Is it really called a sandwich artist? Yes, it is. Reshma, what is one product you can't live without? Oh my gosh, I would absolutely say our quilted jacket. I wear it essentially from October through March without fail. Our quilted puffer is by far my favorite product that we have, and it sells out all the time. So it is amazing. Lori, oh, this is a good one. If you could have a cameo, in a movie or TV show, what would it be? A good one. I mean, is there another show other than Friends that anyone wants to be on? That's a good one. Reshma, what's something we can't Google about you? Oh my God, probably too many things, but maybe my obsession with ice cream. I really, really love it. What's your favorite kind? Strawberry or coffee. Oh, those are some hot takes, the coffee one. Yes. So I've realized I don't like super sweet ice cream and strawberry ice cream is slightly tart and coffee ice cream is slightly bitter with being sweet. So yes, non-sweet ice cream. Lori, who is one person you would want to have at a dinner party, living or dead? I really enjoy having Dolly Parton visit. Yes, as would I. Reshma, last lightning round question. What's your favorite place to travel? Oh my gosh, easy, hands down, any country in Africa. We've gone on safari multiple times and I can go every year till the day I die and it wouldn't be enough. And then India is always home, but to travel any country in Africa, specifically Kenya. So that is a great segwiter. I said that so awkwardly. I'm used to saying non-segwiter, I guess, but it actually is a helpful segwiter to go into you guys and this journey. So Reshma, tell me a little bit about how you grew up. Oh my gosh. I've had a very unusual upbringing. I was born in Mumbai in India, 
My mom is a single mom. I have two sisters, but my mom is part of a very famous Bollywood family. So I grew up in a very interesting contradiction where, you know, we really had access to everything, but my mom was still a single mom. So nothing came easy, if that makes sense. So it was this really interesting balance between seeing what was the possibility and what life could be while at the same time having to work really hard for it without it being handed on a silver platter. So it was a very unique combination, I would say, of instilling a sense of aspiration and grit and just very unusual and a combo that I think has really solidified why I think grit is one of the strongest characteristics you can have as an entrepreneur. And I think that is, I really do credit my upbringing to having that grit. One thing, and Lori, I want to get to your background, but one thing I've been really interested in lately was from a podcast I heard Glennon Doyle talk about the difference between grit and grind. And I think for entrepreneurs, it's an interesting thing to distinguish. And Rashmi, you just talked about the importance of grit. Lori, would love to jump to you. What do you think of the difference between grit and grind? Do they mean different things? Well, I I think one of the things about being a founder or really any job ever is that there are parts of that job that you don't necessarily enjoy. And there can be a grind to that, right? And anything that we're doing. The grit is really about not just overcoming the grind, although I think getting through it is part of it, but the, but the grit is about facing the obstacles, understanding you know what those obstacles are and how to get around them, through them, over them. Whatever it takes to get uh, to the other side is where the grit comes from. It's, it's a combination of problem solving as well as just a willingness to do what it takes over sometimes a sustained period of time. Reshma, bring me up to the point right before you guys met. Were you thinking about entrepreneurship? Where were you in your life? When did you move to the U.S.? Walk me through that phase. I moved to the U.S. to go to college, and I was an entrepreneur since I was six. So I was selling handmade bookmarks in my apartment building for five rupees a pop. So moved to the U.S. for college and then worked at a few places I lived and worked in New York, moved to St. Louis and kind of had a oh my gosh moment after working here for a few firms. And I started my own digital strategy agency. So even before I met Lori, I was already an entrepreneur, as was she. And so when we did actually meet, which I love this story. We met at a networking event. And if anyone knows me, it's like my idea of an absolute nightmare. But I went to this networking event. I had just created an app and someone introduced me to Lori. And it did not take her not even three seconds to be helpful to me and supportive of me. I mean, like less than three seconds, like two seconds. And she was like, great, let me introduce you to your free people. And she literally walked me around that room that day. I can actually, I can picture it in my mind. And said, you know, why don't you meet this one? Why don't you meet that one? And so already an entrepreneur when Lori and I met and definitely aligned on kind of creating something big. But that was over, Lori, correct me if I'm wrong, over seven years before we met about Somersault specifically, maybe, maybe even longer than that. So Lori, it's your turn. Tell me what life was like before Somersault. I love this question, especially in contrast to Rashma's upbringing, because we couldn't have uh, more different backgrounds. I grew up in a small town in rural Missouri, moved around a ton, but I finished high school in a town of 6,500 people. 
what was different about my background, it was in some ways a very charmed childhood, right? We had everything that we needed and more we of love and support. We went to the small town where I finished high school, where my dad was a senior executive at a public company that had just an amazing run through the 90s. And I saw the growth of that business and what it did to a sort of small town and then all the you know investors nationally that were involved and really observed at an early age what could be done. In some ways, that experience, much like Reshma's, the possibilities were, were there. I could see it, I could understand it, and thought, why not me? And so that's really, I think, the influence at Somersault. I also had several early business propositions. I ran various different types of micro businesses as a teenager and then even into college and and wrote several business plans throughout college and graduate school. So entrepreneurial really from day one. So Lori, take me to how did Somersault start and how did that grow into starting the company that we know today? Well, as Rashma mentioned, we're both serial founders. My background is I had launched a business in partnership with a major department store 10 plus years ago now as a lease department doing digital body scanning and made-to-order apparel. So really working at the intersection of tech and fashion at an early date. Rush Mound, an agency, had been doing some amazing work early in the direct-to-consumer era on the brand UX, all things digital marketing side. And in June of 2016, as Rushma mentioned, probably seven years after we first met, we met for lunch. I had admired her work, but we were not really personal friends and had not worked together. Just someone I I certainly admired from a professional perspective. We discussed the future of retail. Rashma shared that day. It was ironically at Chipotle, not intended to be life-defining. We discussed the future of retail, and she really inspired me to write the initial business plan and strategy for what is now Somersault. I went away from that conversation. So it took about six months really cemented the the strategy, went back to Reshma in December of 2016, tried to hire her agency. She tells me now she was transitioning out of the agency. I don't know if that's true or not, but she declined my business. And we ran into each other in New York in late January of 2017. And lucky for me, I literally cornered Reshma on the spot at the Gramercy Park Hotel, convinced her to look at the deck and the line sheet with me. And on the spot, she said, I'm interested, but would you consider a co-founder? Obviously, I know your reaction down the road, but at at that moment, you know, it's one thing to have admiration for someone's work. And it's another thing to be like, you know, this is going to be my partner in and out. Lori, how did you feel about that? And then Reshma, I want to go to how you felt asking that, because it was clearly, you know, what you wanted and you were pretty blunt about it. So, Lori, let's start with you. So the, the way I felt about it was this is someone who I know is professional enough, no matter what happens, that we will both be professional enough to make it work in a way that would be positive. I did not know exactly how beneficial the partnership would be and how much we how would crazy be. I would be, Lori. Well, good kind of crazy. How much you know, power there is in the the duo force that we've begun to to push things forward. You know, honestly, I, I'm very proud of the fact that we both recognized a unique opportunity and we're willing to take a risk in the moment to say, yeah, let's talk about that. Come to a deal that worked for us and then 
you know, it's been really a magical partnership ever since. Reshma, I want to talk about that moment because I think a lot of people would maybe dance around it or, you know, she tried to hire your firm, but you just went for it. Yeah, absolutely. So I like to set an intention every year as opposed to resolutions every year. I think resolutions just set you up for failure. It's really hard to follow. And you tend to kind of just, you know, by Jan 15, Jan 31st, it's kind of done. I like to set an intention for the year that guides some of my decision-making or most of my decision-making that year. So for example, I've set an intention, which was the grass is greener where you water it. In my previous business, I felt like I was spread too thin. And so as we were growing that business, one year I decided to say no to everything that was peripheral and only focus on my family and the business. And I really saw the fruits of my labor there. And so in 2017, and it was January when we met, I had just set my intention for the year, which was ask and you shall receive, which basically, again, I'm not religious or anything. So it was just like a statement that was important to me. And I said, you know what, as women, we tend to not ask for what we want more often than not. We are often waiting and expecting for someone to reward us or someone to recognize the hard work that we put in. And we're just here, to your point, grinding, <laughs> if you will, and hope that that wonderful opportunity presents itself. And it did. And for me, when Nori started to share the wonderful strategy that is now Somersault, it was really a light bulb moment. You know, you have some of those very few moments in your life, your career, where you literally feel almost like an out-of-body experience where you're watching yourself and you're like, you know what, like this is something you need to catch. And I was in that mode and I was asking for everything I wanted, whether that was an airline upgrade, a hotel room upgrade, co-founder status, all of those things. And so honestly, I didn't even think about it. It wasn't even scary. I was just like, Lori, what do you think? And I think we both recognized what we could do together. We were truly two sides of the same coin. And Lori, we've been in it nearly seven years, seven years, still in lockstep with each other. And, you know, we've been through the gamut together from COVID and everything else. And so it was a bold ask and a bold yes. And we're very happy that we both took that chance. And I think entrepreneurship is taking, you know, really thoughtful choices and taking calculated risks. Lori, reflecting on the early years, the first couple when it is, I believe, a lot of grit, what are some of the things looking back now that you think are misunderstood or that no one tells you or prepares you for about being entrepreneur? That's a really good question. So one of the things that I find very interesting as, you know, someone who is a mother, I have a family and a husband. And I'm a serial founder, so this isn't my first business. And my poor husband just knew the sacrifices that it takes to get a business off the ground, right? And it's time, money, energy, resources. And it is truly 24-7. And in the early days, you fill not just your own job, but every gap across the business. And with that in mind, it's a really, truly a sacrifice. And it is not for the faint of heart. Rashma, what are some of the things that have stood out to you in terms of highest highs and lowest lows over seven years? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're laughing. You know what? This is what I will say is that one thing I've really learned from Lori is consistency. 
which is not to see the highs. And it, it might be a negative too. You know, you can see it either way, but I definitely see it as a positive, which is you don't go, oh my gosh, at the highs and you don't break at the lows. Because if you allowed yourself to have that oscillation of emotion from super high to super low, sometimes as an entrepreneur at our scale, that can happen in a day, it can happen in an hour, we can get like the craziest news and the best news. And you're like, what the, you know, is happening. And so if you allowed yourself to feel every big emotion, you wouldn't be steady for your team. And as a company, if we think about the time in which we've grown our business, you know, the most of our life has been after COVID and COVID, which has been multiple wars, which has been COVID, which has been interest rate hikes. I mean, so, so, so much. And so for us, it's about staying steady through it all and being kind of, we described this the other day as like for your team, you have to be a shock absorber. You have to take in the shock from whatever is happening across the board, whether that's on a micro level or a macro level, and then filter that in a thoughtful way to those around you and make sure you are consistent for everyone else. So that's how I would answer the highest high and the lowest low, because I honestly, it's hard for me to articulate what each of those would be because we do try to stay pretty consistent. I definitely get that. I think, you know, another way we say it is like you don't believe the hype when it's good or when it's bad. You kind of got to apply like a discount to all of it. You guys have been successful in raising more than $25 million to date now. I think that it's interesting looking back on the past seven years, the fundraising environment, the consumer landscape, all of it has dramatically changed. And I think we're going to see that obviously keep happening as AI continues to disrupt in, in ways that we haven't even anticipated yet. How do you think about the fundraising landscape and what brands need to do to stand out now? So I think the, the main thing is just to go back to the overall strategy of the brand, understand that the consumer appetite for authentic brands that service a need in a, you know, really positive, joyful way for the consumer and are presented in a way that creates value over a sustained period of time that is not going away. And so from day one, for Somersault, it was about inspiring our consumer to dive in with life, inspiring joy in her life, and then making sure that we're consistent, as Rashma said, over time and in every way with the product, with the messaging, with the service, and then continuing to scale as we went along in our journey. That being said, I think the short-term landscape as it relates to investors has changed dramatically. Ironically, I do not believe the long-term environment for brands is really that different. We know that investors reward exceptional brands over the long-term, and we're committing to making sure that Somersault is part of that cohort of really exceptional brands. As far as advice to founders and entrepreneurs in the consumer space, it's about finding the right investors. And there are investors right now who understand that valuations are likely at an all-time low and making sure that you understand those comps, where the comps sit historically and where they will ultimately land. In your opinion, that's really the crux of the sell for investors right now. 
honestly, it's, there's never been a better time to be a consumer investor because there are some amazing brands that Rushman and I talk to on a daily basis that are literally at great prices. And I think we're going to see investors continue to recognize that over the course of the next 12 months. Brishma, you've said the brand is unapologetically for women. Besides the actual products, what does that mean for you? It just means that we are who we are. And as Lorian shared, our backgrounds are so diverse. So we're really for women who are like us. We created the brand to be a reflection of our community. So one of the things that's really important to note is many early D2C brands always had a very particular archetype that they were going after, whether that was the Brooklyn cool girl or kind of, you know, the Upper East Side Mama, whatever it might be. They had a very specific, specific archetype. At Somersault, we didn't have that. What we had was a shared consumer experience of swimwear being hard, hard, hard to shop for. And so we're really about servicing our consumer, who is an amazing, thoughtful, strong woman. And she could be a cool girl in Brooklyn or a mom in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And she does have that shared experience. So we create and do everything for her. And the magic and joy of it all is that we are part of that demographic. We're creating products that we would want and we would need and our consumer needs and wants as well. What do you think consumers want? What does it mean to be a brand for women in 2023? And this is something, you know, we struggle with at The Skim every year. We're like, what does it mean to be for women this year versus last year? What are some of the things that you guys really focus on? I can jump in on one thing is that I think what she needs and wants is changing constantly. And that's really, really important. So in one aspect, it's consistent. She buys the same swimsuits over and over again, right? And that's why we've had so much success because we have amazing fit and impeccable style. And she knows she can get that same fit if she buys a different color. So that's truly the product. But from a communication standpoint, it's really about being emotionally available to her in a way that other brands are not. So We work really hard on being thoughtful and approachable to her as kind of the environment around her changes by giving her consistently great fitting and great quality products at a price point that's hard to beat. Lori, I want to go to a question from our newsletter audience. They want to know, if you're considering starting your own business, what are the two or three things you would tell someone to definitely consider before taking the plunge? What are the things you must ask yourself? I think just going back to just fundamentally, what is the product? Who is the customer? Am I uniquely able to serve that niche? Do it better than those competitors that are near me? And then just make sure no matter what scale of business you are building, that the economics work. And and that's one of the things we did really well at Somersault. We understood the cost structure, how to market the brand, how to acquire customers, fulfill the, the goods in a way that would contribute to the bottom line every single order. And that was from day one. That isn't new for Somersault. So understanding that economic model is key as well as the fundamentals in how you're going to market. Final question, who's someone else we should have on the show? I don't know if you've had her, but Catherine Morgan Schaffler. Oh, the author? Yes. She is phenomenal. She really focuses on kind of high drive, high achieving women. 
her insight into high achieving, ambitious, career driven women is just absolutely phenomenal. And I think she would just be a riot. That's a great recommendation. Lori, anyone you want to? I love hearing from Bianca Gates at Birdies. So I don't know if she's been on or not, but. Oh, she has not, actually. We would also love to have her on. Okay. Well, thank you guys. We love having you on and we love having this be a referral based way to get some of our favorite founders on. So thank you guys. Congratulations on everything. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thanks so much, Danielle. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. And if you want to keep up with us in between episodes, follow us on Instagram at Carly and Danielle. It's a really good account, I promise. <laughs>